only measure if a church is blessed by God. Unfortunately, in our day and age in America, we, we usually look to one statistic to say whether a church is blessed by God. Attendance, sometimes money, sometimes the size of the building. But I would, I would uh, commend you to look at um, statistics uh, that are compiled that they release every year of the biggest churches with the biggest campuses, churches with the most people, and look at the top 10 lists of those. And what you'll see is very few are probably what we would say is actually a God-honoring, Bible-believing, Christ-proclaiming church. There's a lot of buildings with steeples that have a crowd. But to be a church means that we have to have God's blessing. N not just to build a crowd. And unfortunately, in our day and age, we make such a big emphasis on crowds. As a pastor, there's not a week that goes by that I don't receive a piece of mail or an email uh, about some kind of sure-fangled new program that if you do this, your church is going to grow by 200%. I got one in the mail the other day that if you put a digital sign out, your church is guaranteed to grow by 200%. Just by a digital sign. Can you imagine that? And so it just never ends. Unfortunately, a lot of times these seminars and these gimmicks, they, number one, have something they want you to subscribe to for $29.99 a month, every month. Or... Their wisdom that they're sharing is very worldly. It's antithetical to what the Bible would say are the marks of a church. Uh, preach less. Don't, don't make your sermons based on authority. It, one of the most famous pastors in America this week uh, caused, a, caused a, a, a ruffle because he said this, and he said it over and over and over again from different ways, but... But he basically said, don't even, don't even preach in such a way that if Jesus says something, that it carries authority. Can you imagine? What are you left with to preach? All of these gimmicks and all of these things, shifting the church from worship to entertainment, this is not new. This has always been a, a, a draw. But the reality of it is, is what we see when we see a church that's blessed by God, which, which is what we see here in Acts chapter 11, is, is we see a, a church that doesn't just build a crowd, but a church that is building people up in Jesus Christ. A church that God blesses. I want us to look at this text together. I'll, I'll read it beginning in verse 19 here of chapter 11. Read, follow along with me. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word to, spreading the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And he came, and he saw the grace of God, and he was glad, and he extolled them, 
to remain faithful to the Lord in steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, a prophet came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them was named Abigus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. I want us to look this morning at what I'm going to call marks of a church that's blessed by God. And so there's seven points here that I want to see. I, I promise they'll go fast. I know it's time change Sunday. You're already past lunch in your, in your mind and the new chairs are comfy. But, but we're going to go fast. But I, but I want you to see this, that within this text, I want to draw out seven things that I think are principles that we can learn from the foundation of the church in Antioch that are true for our church today in Titusville and true for every church that wants to honor God and to be blessed by him in what they do together as a body. So the first is this. The first principle that we see here in this text is we see engaged ministry. Engaged ministry. The people of the church are engaged in ministry. Look at verse 20. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists and also preached the Lord Jesus. The founding and the prospering of the church of Antioch is very different than what we've seen so far. It's very unique, and here's why. So far, what we've seen in the book of Acts is that, that the gospel has been advancing and increasing, and the disciples have been being made by the apostles and by those first deacons that were called out to serve the church now we get to uh we get we get to this very gentile area we just saw that cornelius a a, a god-fearing gentile got saved but now what we're going to see is lay people just regular disciples in the church talking with 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 lost Gentiles who had no background in, in the things of God and them now forming a church. Do you see the expansion of how the church is growing as we see this? So now we see uh, what would be very much like the church that we see today. We see a church gathered from people with no Jewish background, with no previous understanding of Judaism. People who are gathered from different religions and, and cultures and backgrounds who come to faith in Jesus Christ and form together as Christians, form together as, as disciples, and it was so strange that they didn't just seem like a synagogue that taught different, but you notice that the people there in Antioch said, no, those are Christ's men. Those are Christians. Those aren't Jews who believe in Jesus. Those are those are Christians. 
And that's how we have the formation then of the Christian church as we would know it, made up from individuals from different and various backgrounds that are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It's interesting here how it got started. It got started, it says, but there were some individuals. There were, remember, there was the great disbursement, the persecution that took place there in Jerusalem. And the people scattered after Stephen was martyred. The people scattered and they went all around. And some of them then settled way up in areas like Antioch, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And there they, they begin to, it says, I love this. If you look back at the text here, it says, coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists and to to the Greek people. They they were just speaking to them. These were were lay people. These were not the, the apostles. These were not the deacons called out by the church. These were just disciples of Jesus Christ who in their daily lives, going in the marketplace, interacting at work, Uh, As they meet their neighbors and their friends, they are talking to them about Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? They were witnesses, as Christ said that his disciples would be. They were his witnesses. It said that the, the word here, it's used in 19 and also in 20. To speak just means a normal conversation. They were spreading Christianity by just talking to people, by just having gospel conversations with people, by just answering questions. Why do you you worship on Sunday like that? Why do you not live? Why why are your values like this? By seeing individuals who are lost and saying, do you know about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me and who he is. Would you trust in Jesus? And you see, when individuals become engaged in ministry, the the work of the Lord and the word of the Lord expands exponentially. If, If God just depended on the apostles and the deacons, just the, the formal leadership of the church, if God just depended on pastors to spread the gospel, do you see how limited the, the opportunity for the gospel would be? But we're all to be witnesses. And I love this. It's, it's pretty simple here. It's just they, they went and they spoke. They were a witness. Every week, you'll have individuals who you speak with, many of which you know are lost. Do you encourage them in Christ? Do you share with them in Christ? Do you try to uh, bring Christ into conversations that they may have questions and ask further and you can have a, a gospel conversation with an individual and testify to Jesus Christ? That's simply all that they did. But in doing so, they were all engaged in ministry and God blessed the church greatly. The second mark that we see here I'm going to call it gospel centrality. Gospel centrality. Look at verse 20. It says, and they were preaching the Lord Jesus. They were heralding or proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The the concept of preaching here isn't the same as 
formally in a, in a pulpit like we're seeing right now, but, but just as they were having conversations, they were heralding, they were, they were telling forth of Jesus and who he was. That was the focus of the conversation that they had with individuals. They were Christ-centered. Now, there's some things that historically understanding about Antioch might be a little bit helpful in this point. The first is this. Antioch was located about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It had approximately 500,000 residents, and it was a port city that was really the center of commerce and travel. It was the city that linked the east and the west of the day. Not only was it a large city, not only was it a diverse city, you can imagine all kinds of different people traveling through for commerce and, and settling and, and all of the different things, but it was also known as a very wicked city. So much so that in the first century, we have a uh, Roman leader who is recording saying that Antioch was so corrupt that what was coming out of Antioch was morally corrupting Rome. Rome wasn't exactly a place of righteousness. What was coming out of Antioch was corrupting Rome 1,300 miles away. It was a very pagan city. It was a very godless city. It was a city to where there was very little Judaism, where there was very little uh, people who feared God or even knew God uh, through Judaism in the Old Testament. And certainly, this is the beginning of Christianity coming to this city. And here's where I say that they're gospel-centered. It says that they went around, they had conversations, and they preached Jesus as Lord. They didn't go around in a dirty, wretched, vile culture and talk about politics. They didn't go around in a dirty, wretched, vile culture and talk about morality. They went... And they proclaimed Jesus. They proclaimed Jesus. Now, you want politics to change? You want the morality of the city to change? Get people saved. Get people saved. The work of the church is to focus on Jesus Christ. To focus on the proclamation of the message of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying the other things aren't important. Please, go and vote this week if you haven't already. Be engaged as you can be engaged and, and, and do it with Christian conviction, being guided by the word of God in prayer. But that's not the heartbeat of the church. Unfortunately, this Sunday, right now, in pulpits all over this country, you will have churches that are more inspired and more dedicated to preaching about politics than preaching about Jesus. They preached. We must preach Jesus. They were gospel-centered. Third, they modeled grace. They modeled grace. Look at verse 22. It says, The report of this came to the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, um, commentators... And I think that they're right, just given what we've seen so far in Acts and the, the church in Jerusalem. And, and as they're beginning to understand 
how wonderful the grace of God is for everybody as we've seen through Acts. I, I think here's what happened. Word gets back to Jerusalem that lay people are winning heathens to Christ and they started their own church and there's no apostle, there's no deacon. What is going on over there? We, we need to go check this out. <laughs> we, we need to send some people to make sure everything is on the up and up over here. And so they pick Barnabas. Wonderful Barnabas. The son of encouragement who everywhere he goes is a unifier and an encourager. You remember, uh, they didn't want to accept Saul. Barnabas brings them right in. Guys, this is Saul. Let me tell you about him and what God's done in his life. And so here they pick Barnabas and they send Barnabas to Antioch. And Antioch, when he gets to Antioch, he sees the grace of God. Look at verse 23. When he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. He, he, he goes there, and he sees these people without a Jewish background, from all kinds of cultures and all kinds of, of wickedness in this, in this city full of sinfulness and debauchery. And he sees people who are worshiping Jesus, who love Jesus, who are telling their friends and their neighbors about Jesus. And it makes his heart glad. Now, be honest. Do you think that what Barnabas saw when he went to Antioch and, and saw these new believers there, do you think they had it all together? Do you, do you think that they're that they didn't have some baggage still from the lives that they had lived and the culture that they had grown up? Do you think that they had a tradition and a history and a worship practice that was all perfect and exactly like it would have been in Jerusalem? I guarantee it wasn't. But he comes and he's glad. He comes and he encourages. He comes and he shows grace. Friends, we got we to gotta remember sometimes we, you see someone who's just come to Jesus and you need to celebrate that they've come to Jesus. There might be some things that need to be changed. There might be some things that Christ is still working on. They might carry some baggage and they might carry some symbols sometimes on their body of the life that they used to live. But we need to have grace. We need to be encouraged that here's a young person who, who lived a sinful life that now loves Jesus. We need to be encouraged in that and, and graceful in that and encouraging in that. And that's what Barnabas does here. He, he goes to Antioch and he sees the grace of God in the lives of unlikely people. And he rejoices. Look at what else he does. The fourth point. Mark of a, of a church blessed by God. Encouraging fellowship. Encouraging fellowship. Verse 23. When he came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. He exhorted all of them to remain faithful in the Lord with steadfast purpose. He looks upon 
these believers from different cultures, from different backgrounds. He looks upon people who honestly, months before, he might have thought could not receive the grace of God. We're not, we're not even in, they, they weren't even in his, <laughs> they weren't even in his zone for people who should become believers in Jesus Christ. And now he sees these people from all of these different places in this, in this city that's so far away, without a Jewish background, that love Jesus and have trusted in him and are living for him and are engaged in ministry. And he is encouraged and he encourages them. He, he, he tells them, to remain faithful, to remain steadfast. He tells them basically to abide in Christ. And and that's what the fellowship of the church is designed to do. That's why uh, there's no Lone Ranger Christian. When God saves us, we're adopted into the family of God and we're to be adopted together into a local body of God so that individuals can interact with us and encourage us and know us and warn us and help us and we can serve with them and we can live with them and we can be encouraged in steadfast hope and to abide in Christ. Because life's hard uh, uh, our own ability to interpret and deal with life is hard sometimes. But I thank God so much for the people of God and the fellowship of the church that God has surrounded me with throughout my life that have always encouraged me to abide in Christ, that have always challenged me to live for Christ, that have given me opportunities to serve Christ, that have helped to confirm in me what what God has called and gifted me to do. That's why we're in a fellowship. That's why we're in a body to encourage one another to live out the things of God, to abide in Christ with him. That's why it's so difficult and so scary for individuals to walk away from regular fellowship within a church. To just say, yeah, I don't don't need that. We'll, We'll just home church. We're good. Well, you can still be good with Jesus. You can still be saved that way. But I'm telling you, you're missing out on the encouragement that comes in fellowship. You are short sighting God's work in your life by not participating in a body of Christians like we're called to do. Fifth, we see godly leadership. We see godly leadership. Look at verse 24. Luke talks about Barnabas. We've we've heard about Barnabas in other places. He's always an exemplary individual. Here it says in, in verse 24, that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Barnabas is a good leader for the church as he goes there. Again, this church just really, we don't know that it really had a pastor or leader. It just seems that it was laymen telling everybody about Jesus, and everybody was telling about Jesus, and, and you had this group of people that loved Jesus, but they weren't really being led. And here comes Barnabas to come and to encourage them and to lead them and to exhort them to, to remain faithful and steadfast and in the, the right purposes of God and in the word of God. 
and you see a, a people who are hungry and who are being led and, and want to follow godly leadership. And godly leadership is incredibly important to a church. Having individuals that, that meet the requirements that are outlined in the Bible, having individuals that are able to, to show themselves approved, that are able to teach from the, the whole counsel of the Word of God, who in their own lives know and understand and live and believe these things. So often, churches pick leaders like Israel picked their first king. Do you remember that story? We want a king, we want a king. God said, okay, you're going to get a king. Who you want? Let's get Saul. He's tall. He looks like a king. Man, he's, he's good looking. He's tall. Everybody's going to look at him and say, Israel, they've got a good king. Look at Saul. I think that's the same way a lot of churches pick pastors. And he's good looking. Have you heard him preach? Man, he can peel the paint off the walls. He's loud and exciting and engaging and creative. But does he love Jesus? Does he know the word of God? Is he competent in dealing with souls? We don't pick doctors that way. <laughs> I went to the doctor. He's so smart, he got out of medical school fast. In fact, he didn't even finish. He's just so smart, he didn't even need it. He's really practicing medicine. You see, when we pick Leaders in the church like Israel picked Saul were bound to get the same results in the church that Israel got with Saul. It wasn't pretty. We need godly leadership. Godly leadership also understands the need to trust in others. Here we see in, in chapter 11 that, that uh, Barnabas comes to Antioch and, and Barnabas begins teaching and begins seeing a move of God and more and more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and he realizes, I need help. And so he goes 100 miles and he gets Saul and he gets Saul of Tarsus, and he, and he brings him back. And, and he wasn't afraid. Saul was incredibly called and gifted by God. He was an incredible teacher of the word of God. And, and Barnabas goes, and he gets Saul, and he, and he brings him, and he gives him this opportunity there to teach and to pastor. And, and, and Saul, who's also Paul, if you aren't caught up with us here, he, he writes most of the New Testament and Barnabas isn't afraid of him because they both want what God wants for the people to be raised up and equipped. And so we see godly leadership. Sixth, we see biblical instruction. What does the church do? Well, this is a good question. There's a lot of churches that are busy with activity, are full of programs are known for, for how they, they minister and care to the least of these. All of these things aren't bad. But at the center of the church should be instruction in the Word of God uh, of, of what to know and how to live. We must seek to know the Word of God and to live according to the Word of God. And, and if we do those things, then all of those other things will fall into place rightly. Do you see that? Because the Word of God calls us to do those things. And so here, look at verse 26. 
Barnabas goes and he gets Saul. He brings him back here to Antioch. And in verse 26, we read this. For a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So they come and for an entire year, considerable number of people are hungry for the word of God. That's, a, that's another thing that we could put in here by an inference. What is a, a mark of a church, of a church blessed by God? Well, it's people hungry for the word of God. It's people with a, a hunger and a desire to know God. And so because the people were hungry, and Paul and, and Barnabas were there, and they, they taught them and instructed from the Word of God for an entire year, the people feasted. But not only did they feast, not only did they learn, but they did. Why would I say that? Well, because it got the attention of others. The outsiders saw this group who were being taught by Paul and by Barnabas, saw them growing in their faith in Jesus Christ, saw that they changed, saw that they lived in a different way, saw that they were probably always having conversations telling them about Jesus, and so a reputation began to happen around these people. They were called Christ's men. They were called Christ's men. You know, the Bible only uses the term Christian in three places. Did you know that? There's only three places in the New Testament where people are referred to as Christians. The first is here. And it's not actually meant to be an encouraging term. It's kind of like if you, if you know from church history the group called the Puritans. Everybody heard of the Puritans? That was a, that was a derogatory term. Oh, they're the Puritans, extra pure. Like that was the idea. And, and for here, they're the Christians, the, the Christ people. Kind of like if you grew up in the 70s, the, the Jesus people, the movement of young people that accepted Christ. They were the, the Jesus freaks or the Jesus people, the Jesus movement. Here they're calling them Christians as Christ's men. The second place where you see it is in Acts chapter 26 where Agrippa tells Paul, you would so quickly try to convince me to be a Christian. And then in 1 Peter, Peter urges his readers not to be ashamed if they suffer as Christians. It's interesting, the term Christian was meant to be derogatory by the culture. Oh, they're the ones that follow Christ. Unfortunately, now, our light so often has become so dim, they no longer associate that we live for Christ, but just that we agree to some kind of a culture identity. Oh, that we would be Christ men again. That we would be Christians who, who receive the Word of God and live according to the Word of God. That we hunger and thirst for the Word of God. And that the Word of God makes a change in our lives that is noticeable to those around us, that they would say, there is something different about that individual. There is something different because they follow Christ. Seventh, look, we got there. <laughs> Seventh, generous giving. Generous giving is the, the last thing that I, I want to say about this. Look at verses 27 through 30. Um, 
Oh, I'm in chapter 10 there. That's what, I'm like, this doesn't look right. Okay, 27 through 30. Now in these days, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Abagus stood and foretold by the Spirit that there would become a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So you have a very interesting story here that, that concludes this section of the church in Antioch. Uh, prophets were coming down, and one of them, guided by the Holy Spirit, foretold that there was going to be a great famine that was going to come. And this famine was going to come to Judea, and the brothers there are going to need resources to be able to endure through this famine. And so the word of the Lord came and encouraged the people, and what did the people do? They generously gave. Now, you're like, we give the love offerings all the time. What's the big deal? <laughs> Read between the lines here what's happening. Gentile believers in Antioch are being generous and giving of their resources to what had been Jewish believers in Jerusalem. You see that? They're, they're, they're giving back to those who even just previously before didn't even think that they could be saved. But you see the, the, the unifying in the church and you see, you see the generosity within the church and Christians sometimes have a reputation for being the most stingy people. Friends, I, I hope that that wouldn't be said of us. How many waiters hate working on Sunday morning after the church is let out because they say that the Christians give the worst tips? What's even worse is when somebody, will, the waiter will come and they'll say, can I pray for you? And then they basically stiff them on the tip side afterwards. We should be generous. We should be more generous than the multimillionaires that are godless in this world just looking for tax breaks. Because we have experienced true generosity. That Jesus Christ, God's Son, came and died for us. That God loved us so much that he did not spare his only son, but he sent him that we might receive salvation. We, we can't outgive God. Our generosity, our giving, whether it's a tithe, whether it's a, an offering, whether it's a, a special thing, whether it, whatever it is, our, our generosity is based that God is generous to us. We can't outgive God. And when we give, and we give with the right motivation and the right heart, God even blesses us even more. This text doesn't say it outright, but I, I promise you that God's blessing continued to extend to these disciples here in Antioch as they're gathered together and they're taking of their own resources and their own time and their own effort and they're preparing a gift and they send it to Judea so that they can endure through the famine. I promise you that God continued to bless them even more because of their generosity. What a beautiful story, isn't it? Can you see why so many churches name themselves Antioch? Because what a model 
we see here for a church. We see a model that's set before us of a church that's founded by members that are engaged in ministry. Everyone is telling someone about Jesus and serving so that Jesus might be known. They're focused on making Jesus known. They're gospel-centered in all that they do. They are uh, believing in grace, not legalism, not moralism, not politics, but, but the grace of God. They're led by godly men. They're encouraging in fellowship. And they're generous with all that God has given them. Friends, I pray that that would be a mark, that those marks would mark us. That we would not be swayed by the world's measure, but that we would look for what God's measure is. That we would seek to be a people and a church where these things are true of us. Where we are engaged in ministry, where we are filled with grace and encouragement in our fellowship. Where all that we do centers on who Jesus is. Where we're generous. Where our leaders lead us that we might grow in God. Friends, that's what I want for us. That's what the Lord wants for us. And as we do those things, God will bless. It's easy to build a crowd. It's impossible to build a church without God. Pray with me. Father.